Podcasts are pretty common. So what makes the Uncommon Podcast uncommon? Well, it's all in our name. I'm your host, Noah Weiss, and we at Uncommon Sports Group understand the unique pressures and temptations that come with a career in the sport industry. We provide uncommon training that helps you successfully navigate common challenges. Hit the follow button on this podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Check out our website and become uncommon. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Uncommon Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Weiss, and I'm super excited to welcome Elisa Childers on the show today. Elisa is a Christian apologist, the author of the book Another Gospel, the host of the Elisa Childers Podcast, as well as being featured on the American Gospel Christ Crucified documentary. And she is going to help us understand the progressive Christian movement and the danger of this movement's teachings. Elisa, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Excited to jump into this today. And Lisa, in your book, Another Gospel, you state that progressive Christianity is an entirely different religion with another Jesus and another gospel. What makes a progressive Christian movement an entirely different religion? Mm. Yeah, and that's, that's a great question because we have to define our terms, right? We have to understand what it is we're talking about uh, before we sort of engage with the actual ideas. And so I think many Christians are under the impression that progressive Christians are just a group of people who might be embracing more of a messy authenticity or maybe focusing a little more on grace or maybe even changing their minds on some political issues or becoming more nuanced politically or something like that. And while certainly those can be present, um, what really defines the movement and how I've researched the movement is really theologically. Mm -hmm. And so what a lot of Christians don't understand when they hear that word progressive Christianity is that we're not talking about just a group of Christians that have changed their mind on some of these things, Mm -hmm. but this is actually at its core, a denial of the core fundamental assumptions of Christianity, like the definition of Christianity Mm -hmm. that has made it unique in the world uh, for 2000 years, which is why I titled my book Another Gospel, because that's what I argue in the book, is I I try to show the reader as we move through the main ideas of the big progressive thought leaders, Mm -hmm. what is this movement? What do they believe theologically, which we're going to find does teach a different God. It's it's a different saving message. It presents a different Jesus. And so uh, the stakes are that high when it comes to the movement of progressive Christianity. Absolutely, Elisa. And I really appreciate you sharing that. And I think what is sometimes hard to, to really walk in this different um, ideology is is that we want to respect other believers. We want to make sure that we're engaging in good conversations with other Christians. But like you said, it is an entirely different gospel that denies core truths of Christianity. And therefore, it's important for us to stand for those truths. And so my next question, Lisa, is in your book, you talk about the importance of what the earliest Christians believed and really helping us understand the foundational beliefs that are a part of Christianity, as you've mentioned So share with our listeners the importance of early church creeds and what we have learned from these creeds about the foundational beliefs of the Christian faith. 
Yeah, so, you know, many people will argue, hey, you know, early Christianity was really quite diverse. There was a lot of different theological beliefs, so we can't really know what the earliest Christians believed. Mm -hmm. And this is a view that's promoted in a lot of circles. A lot of progressive Christians latch on to this idea, and you might even yeah. hear it phrased something like, well, hey, the earliest Christians didn't even have a Bible. So therefore, the implication would be that we can't really know for sure what they believed. And mm -hmm. um, so in my investigation into what I would call historic Christianity, which I'm using that phrase to represent the opposite of progressive Christianity, yeah. what I discovered is that our New Testament is uh, filled with creeds. There are actually dozens of creeds in the New Testament mm -hmm. that predate those New Testament books themselves, and yeah. in some cases by 20 years or so. Yeah. And so one example of this, which is arguably the earliest creed in all of uh, the history of Christianity, which even skeptical and atheist scholars will date within uh, anywhere from a couple of years to six, seven years after Jesus' death. That's incredibly early. That yeah. That is about as early as it could possibly get. So yeah. we have this creedal material that mm -hmm. was recorded in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 years or so later. Yeah. But what you know what does this creed say that's yeah. the key that's the question because totally. paul is simply recording something that's been circulating mm -hmm. orally for a really long time yeah. and so in that creed we learn some really basic things about what the earliest christians believed in by the way when paul recorded this creed he said this is of utmost importance mm -hmm. and so i think right there we yeah. we know that not all beliefs are on the same level of importance yeah there are some beliefs that are more important than others. Absolutely. And so what we find in that creed is that Jesus died for my sins. Mm -hmm. So there's a divine reason for Jesus' death. Yeah. He wasn't just crucified for speaking power, you know, truth to power. Right. He wasn't just uh, crucified by an angry mob to mm -hmm. satisfy their bloodlust, although certainly those elements were at play. Yep. But there was a divine reason. So what we mean by Jesus died for my sins is of utmost importance. And so mm -hmm. that's a core, that's a core belief of Christianity. Yeah. Now, the next line in the creed says, in accordance with the scriptures. Yeah. And so that's connected, right? It's not mm -hmm. just an arbitrary thing we get to decide, what does that mean Jesus died for mm -hmm. my sins? Yeah. Well, we have the entire backdrop of the Old Testament sacrificial system. We have, yeah. uh, we have the Isaiah 53 prophecy about the suffering servant, which Jesus, by the mm. way, identified himself as the suffering servant from Isaiah's prophecy. Yeah. And he did that in Luke, uh, you know, the night before he was betrayed in the upper yeah. room. And so uh, th I think that to, to divorce ourselves from any meaningful understanding of Jesus' death yeah. not having to do with sacrifice, not mm -hmm. being substitutionary. That is not a Christian view mm -hmm. of the cross, to, to deny that. Yeah. So, you know, we have that robust understanding of the cross even just in that first century context. Then it goes on to say that he was buried. Well, that's kind of like evidence, right? That's evidence that he was actually dead. Yeah. And then that he was raised to life. Mm -hmm. and, and that buried, that's kind of a hinge between the fact that he was crucified, but also that the resurrection means something, because yeah. he was literally dead. Yeah. That sets up the resurrection for how we're supposed to understand that as well. Absolutely. And then again, after the resurrection, it says, in accordance with the scriptures. So I think at the very least, at the very most bare bones understanding of Christianity, you have this core of the sin and redemption story mm -hmm. being proven true with a resurrection. Yeah. 
And and that is something that we can't divorce ourselves from. Now, Christianity can't be boiled down only to that. Certainly it can't be any less than that, but it's also more. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have early creeds in the New Testament that have to do with Jesus' deity. Uh, There's uh, some great material online and there's even a book, I think it's called Early Creeds and Confessions, Mm -hmm. where all of these creeds in the New Testament are identified Mm -hmm. and you can go through and see how it's robust understandings of Jesus' deity, his sinless life, uh, his death and resurrection. these were things that were very core to early Christians, and these are these are honestly the things that are really undermined absolutely. in the movement of progressive Christianity. Yeah, absolutely, Lisa. And I think what really just moved me in your book and what really just hit home was that these creeds are the earliest understanding of the early church. And I think if we think about, I love how you use the term historical Christianity as opposed to conservative Christianity. I think that's very unique and, and, and inspiring, honestly, because it really digs it back to the roots Obviously, there's many things that can change with time. There was many Gnostic Gospels written about Jesus and different teachings about him as time went on, and some are very similar to what we see in progressive Christianity. But where we need to find the truth is in the historical roots of who are the people that walked with Jesus, who are the people that knew him and, and had direct teaching from him, because that, in turn, um, is what really the truth is in, in the roots of our faith, um, as yeah. you mentioned. So I appreciate you sharing. That's, that's really good stuff. Yeah. And Elisa, a common progressive Christian belief is that the Bible is not divinely inspired, but rather that it progresses with time. In fact, a quote you used in your book from Rob Bell, a progressive Christian pastor and author, stated that the church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their best defense. What did the early church and Jesus believe about Scripture, and can a person who really denies the divinity of the Bible really call themselves a Christian? Yeah, and this is kind of a key question. And so just to nuance it a little bit, in progressive Christianity, certainly you'll hear people say, oh, I do believe the Bible is divinely inspired, or I do think I have a high view of Scripture. Mm -hmm. Certainly um, that is the approach that is taken, but a lot of words get redefined. And so in that Rob Bell book about the Bible, in fact, he he does this, where he talks about Mm -hmm. the Bible being inspired. But when you get really down to what he means by that, he means that it's in more like something that would inspire you, something that you would find inspiring, or even something that yeah. God would take and breathe life into and make it inspiring for your faith. But that is not the historic understanding of what we're talking about when we talk about divine inspiration. Yeah. We're talking about the words on the page being breathed out by God himself through Absolutely. human beings. Now, certainly, yeah. God used their personalities and their cultural context, so we're going to yeah. see all of that reflected. We're going to mm-hmm. see their personalities. We're going to see yeah. their grammar styles and language abilities reflected in the text. God worked yeah. through that. They weren't just like human typewriters mm-hmm. dictating in right. a trance. But the words on the page are God-breathed. The, mm-hmm. the, the assumption for the authority yeah. of that cannot be understated. Mm-hmm. The, that is the highest authority of the divine mm-hmm. voice. And so in progressive Christianity, very often what you'll hear is an emphasis on the humanity side yeah. of the Bible. And some will even say, the Bible is a human book about God. It's not a book that was breathed out by God yeah. for humans, but rather people who wrote the Bible were just doing their best in the times and places in which they lived mm. to try to understand what, what maybe God was saying. They were mm. communing with God in their times and places, but really they were probably just copying the 
the pagan cultures around them. They looked around and saw, hey, people are making sacrifices to their gods. Maybe we should do that. Or mm -hmm. people are going to war for the honor of their gods. Maybe we should get a victory for Yahweh. So we're going to write it in the text as if Yahweh said, do these things. Mm -hmm. But according to many in the progressive Christian movement, that's not really what God did. That's not really what God is mm -hmm. like. And so it's up to us to really take this sort of internal mystical knowledge of God that he's revealed yeah. to us over time and then basically judge what was written in the Bible. Mm. So in progressive Christianity, very often you'll hear people say, well, you know, I, I don't really agree with the Apostle Paul on this point yeah. or that point. Yeah. Or uh, maybe we've misunderstood Paul for all this time and we need mm. to radically reinterpret his words. And so there, there tends to be a really strong focus on keeping the Bible yeah. in some sense, but not looking at it as we have historically. Right. And, and so I think that that is a really dangerous game mm -hmm. to play because essentially then what you're doing is shifting the authority from the Bible to yourself. Yeah. And I think too what we're seeing especially now is that, you know, it was the, the original question the serpent asked Eve in the garden was, did God really say, right? That yeah. was the question. And I think the serpent is yeah. still asking that question, yeah. although I think he's turned it a bit. Yeah. I think the question he's asking now is not so much did God really say, because you can take the actual words of Scripture and make them mean whatever you want them to mean. Totally. I think the question now is, did God really mean? Mm -hmm. That's the question for now. Yeah. And that's the question we have to ask when mm -hmm. we're encountering this movement of progressive Christianity in regards to the Bible. Yeah, absolutely, Elise. And I think what point uh, that you really made that really just hit home with me is that if we put ourselves in authority, and we're really picking and choosing what we really trust in the Bible and what we don't. And therefore, we kind of create a God that's in our own image instead of the, the God that has revealed himself in Scripture. And I think one thing, too, that is so important to note is that Jesus himself believed that, that the Old Testament was God's Word. Uh, many, yeah. many times, you mentioned this in a podcast you did on Frank Turk's Cross-Examined podcast, that, he, that Jesus really affirms this many times um, throughout the, the, the Gospels. And I think that is something where... As followers of Christ, if we look at Jesus and call him a liar, we are no longer followers of Christ. We're kind of picking and choosing even what he says. Um, and yes. that's a very dangerous game to play. And so I think that's been one thing, too, that, you, that you've mentioned before that is so powerful. And I think that as followers of Christ ourselves, that we need to think about um, and really defend because this is what Jesus believed and what he taught. So mm, It's a great point. And I think, too, as, as Christians, just in regards to Jesus' view of the scriptures, um, as you mentioned, over and over, he's declaring yeah. the Old Testament scriptures to be the word of God. And in progressive Christianity, sometimes you'll hear, mm -hmm. well, you know, we, we, we Christians worship the Bible because we view it as authoritative and, and we just take, you know, these words and we won't budge on these words. And then they'll make the point, but, you know, Jesus was the living word. He's the yeah. word we should be following. Yeah. But I think that when I think through that question, it's not difficult to see that mm -hmm. the living word had no saw no contradiction between yeah. himself and the written word. Absolutely. In fact, appealed to the authority of mm -hmm. the written word to fight temptation in the wilderness. Yeah. So for the living word, I agree, mm -hmm. Jesus is the Logos, he's the word. Yeah. But he didn't see a contradiction mm -hmm. between the living word and the written word. Yeah. And so I think we need to follow his example yeah. and also not see a contradiction there and appeal to the authority of scripture mm -hmm. and realizing that by doing that doesn't mean we're worshiping the Bible. Yeah. We worship God, we worship the living word. Mm -hmm. And so we need to follow his example. We need to obey what he taught about yeah. these things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one verse that I think is so, so key is in John 10, Jesus says, scripture cannot be broken. Mm -hmm. uh, that is That is powerful. And I think we as Christians yes. need to really uh, kind of look and analyze, man, like 
those words came from Jesus and how do we respond to that? So great point, Elisa, and I really appreciate you sharing that. And Elisa, a common view amongst progressive Christians is that hell isn't actually a real place. Richard War, who you quote in your book, actually says that a view of God who puts non-believers in hell for eternity is cheap and toxic. Elisa, unpack for us what a biblical understanding of hell is really like and then the balance between God's love and God's justice. Mm. Oh, wow. Great questions. Well, let's start with God's love and justice, as that's going to flow into the concept of hell. Yeah. I think a lot of people have a misunderstanding about the nature of God. I don't know if maybe our churches haven't done a great job at teaching, you know, just foundational theology, doctrine of God kind of stuff. Right. But I think sometimes it can be our our nature to think of God as separated like a pie. Like mm-hmm. there's all these pieces of the pie. There's the justice piece. There's the love piece. Yeah. There's the goodness piece. There's the all-knowing piece. And like all of these attributes of God are sort of like separate from each other. And yeah. somehow God has to figure out how to integrate them all together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the wrong way to look at it. God is one. Mm-hmm. And he's not made up of a bunch of different parts that are all competing. Yeah. So we only have words for these things like right. love and justice and mercy because they flow out of the nature and character of God. We are actually describing attributes of God when we use those words. And those attributes are not separate from each other. They're Mm -hmm. not in competition with each other. Uh, So God's love and his justice Mm -hmm. are the same thing. Yeah, And that's what I don't think people realize. They are the same thing. Now, in our culture, we've redefined love to mean something more like affirming what anybody else wants to believe, say, or behave like. Mm -hmm. That's not biblical love. That's not the love that we see reflected in the nature and character of God. Absolutely, Um, God's love requires justice. It's all something that works together. And I think deep down, we all get this if if we if we just are intellectually honest and really think mm-hmm. about like a, a scenario so yeah. imagine if you know if you're struggling with the idea that god could have wrath for sin but that he is also fully love so he's mm-hmm. he's fully justice and he's fully love yeah uh you know love and justice aren't arbitrary concepts that god has to meet in order mm-hmm. to be called those things yeah. we are describing god when we use those words so imagine that you're having trouble with the idea that god would have wrath for sin and you're squaring that with his love mm-hmm. well imagine you know, a, a horrible scenario of maybe somebody bringing a child and torturing that child in front of you mm. for an hour. Yeah. And every person I trust that's listening to this would mm-hmm. have wrath for that. Yeah. You want payment for that. And the reason you know that has to be paid for, you the reason you know there has to be justice for that is because of love. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. because of God's love Absolutely. that he has wrath for sin. Yeah. And frankly, you do too. We all have wrath for mm-hmm. sin. The problem, though, is that we kind of think, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. Mm, And I hope nobody listening to this is as bad as that guy. (laughs) But there's somebody better than you. You're Mm. worse than somebody else. And then there's somebody better than that person. There's somebody better than that person. You can go Mm. all the way up to the best person you could possibly find. Mm -hmm. And even they are going to fall short of that moral perfection that describes God. And so, you know, at what point do you want God to stop? the justice. Like, of course you want justice for that guy, but maybe not for yourself or for the people who are better than you. Mm. But what if the person who's better than you says, well, hey, why don't you judge that guy? He's worse than me. So we don't, we have very limited understanding, Mm. intellect, and ability to discern and judge these things rightly, which is where it takes a little bit of a step of faith to know that God is perfectly just. And so his concept of hell is just, right? Like we have to, we have to start with that. And so certainly there are some 
disagreements among faithful Christians about what the nature of hell is, mm -hmm. even the duration yeah. in some cases, yeah. but to completely deny mm -hmm. the idea that there will be a time when God will quarantine mm -hmm. all evil away. And anyone who's attached to that evil, anyone who is a, has rejected God, yeah. who doesn't want to be in his presence forever, but has embraced that evil mm -hmm. that God will quarantine, they are going to be a part of that quarantine. Yeah. They will be quarantined away. Now, mm -hmm. I believe that scripture teaches that hell is a place mm -hmm. of eternal torment. Like there's going to be an eternal punishment. Exactly the nature of that, I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, but I think that J.I. Packer had a great explanation. I think I put this in the book and, and I, I'll just paraphrase because I don't have it in front of me. But we, you know, we focus so much on the what we have always seen as the physical aspects of hell, you know, the, yeah. the the metaphors the Bible uses of flames and worms and things like this. Mm -hmm. And we think about our physical bodies, but even just put that to a side yeah. for, for a moment yeah. and think about the fact that everybody on earth has access to God's what we call common grace. Yeah. So every, the, yeah. from the most hardened atheist, they get to experience the goodness of God yeah. in the world. Absolutely. They get to experience love. They get to experience um, feelings of hope and yeah. joy. Mm -hmm. uh, and so imagine that every last drop of hope you've ever felt in your life, every last drop of, of connection to another person, every, every bit of love and goodness that you've ever experienced in the world is taken away. Yeah. And all you have is utter mm -hmm. dark hopelessness and yeah. fear and uh, when God removes that common grace, I mean, that would be enough mm. for me to say, I don't ever want to yeah. even spend a minute in a place like Absolutely. that. I mean, yeah. I think about the worst dream I've ever had has been covered by mm. God's common grace. Yeah. We've still, none of us have ever tasted mm -hmm. what that's like. And so I think yeah. it, it requires us to think more theologically about Absolutely. hell. It requires us to think about why God would have created a place like hell. Originally, yeah. it wasn't created for people. Yeah. It was actually created as a place of punishment for the devil and his angels, yeah. his fallen angels. Yeah. But again, he can't let sin into heaven. Mm -hmm. So if humans in their willful rebellion against him want to hang on to their sin, yeah. he can't let that into heaven or else Absolutely. heaven is just going to be like another version of hell. Yeah. And so I think that Absolutely. I've heard a theologian refer to wrath, God's wrath, like God's wrath is our only hope. Yeah. It's the only hope we have for God to keep his promise, to wipe away every tear from our eyes, mm -hmm. and to yeah. provide a place for us where eternity, where we will be separate yeah. from suffering and yeah. from sin and mm -hmm. from all darkness. And so I, I don't know how deeply people think about hell, if they just right. kind of have a caricature in their mind from mm -hmm. maybe some TV show they watched or a book right. they read. But we need to think deeply about these things. And yeah. I think deep down, we all know that it's necessary. And if, if everything yeah. was put in our lap and we had God's intelligence and we had his power, yeah. I think we'd end up doing the same exact thing. Yeah, Elisa, absolutely. And I think where I really just love hearing you say, talking about looking at ourselves, like, oh, like, well, that person deserves justice, but not me. And I think what really starts to happen is we don't see ourselves as sinners. We don't see ourselves right. as, as bad as we should. Um, I think that's so dangerous. And obviously we all fall into that trap from time to time. I think even as I've been a Christian and walked with Christ more and more, I've started to see myself as quote unquote better because he's taken me away from certain sins and changed my mind. But at the same time, I've still done things and do things and will do things that God should punish. And I think that's really the key is we need to think about how we've hurt people, how we've done things in, in God's creation that have caused somebody else to tear up or somebody else to feel pain in their lives. And that's deserving of God's wrath. Mm. And I think what you said too is God's justice and his love are, are the same thing. 
Um, and we need to really process and think about that because it is love. And I think that is truly, uh, if we misunderstand that, we can misrepresent God and fall into these progressive Christian beliefs out of misunderstandings. And I think that's where a lot of these beliefs mm. come from is a misunderstanding. So yeah, well said, Elisa. And I really think it's, like you said, something to think through and to process because hell is a scary place. And yeah, uh, like it, it should be disturbing. It's supposed yeah, to be. Absolutely. That, it shouldn't be something that we're just like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, hell. I mean, yeah. it's it's very disturbing and we need to think about it deeply why is it why does it exist and so um yeah yeah it's tough though it's a hard doctrine for sure it is and i think even to a a broader point i think the reason for this podcast and for this conversation and for what you do is we want people to avoid being in that place we want the the truth to to really be spread um, of, of christ dying for our sins on the cross and those basic beliefs you talked about earlier but yeah i think that's it goes back to the purpose of why we do these things. And so I appreciate that point as well, for sure. And Elisa, in your book, you state, this is kind of a similar uh, conversation, you state that an attack on the cross is an attack on the very core of what it means to be a Christian. What do progressive Christians believe about Jesus' death on the cross, and how does it differ from the historical Christian belief? Well, like many of the other beliefs that we find in progressive Christianity, and I probably should have said this at the beginning, one of the Mm -hmm. kind of the hallmarks of progressive Christianity is that it's very hard to define. The reason why it's hard to define is because it's generally not creedal in the sense that there's this list of beliefs that unite progressive Christians. It's very fluid. Mm -hmm. There's a broad spectrum of beliefs that fall under that umbrella. And so when I was studying the movement, one thing I realized very early on is that although they're very diverse in what they would affirm, They're pretty united in what they deny. And so the cross, the, you know, the Bible uses all sorts of different language to describe what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Yeah. There's language of following Jesus' example of, of being a good moral person and showing forgiveness toward people. Certainly that's true. That's biblical. Mm-hmm. There's the Christus Victor idea that Jesus died to defeat the power of sin and death. Absolutely. Yeah. That is a yeah. biblical, you know, way to look at it. Um, but there's another biblical way to look at it that tends to be the one that gets denied in yeah. progressive Christianity. And that's this idea of substitutionary atonement Mm -hmm. and even more particularly penal substitutionary atonement. So penal substitutionary atonement being the idea that Jesus was our substitute and took our punishment Mm -hmm. upon himself. He paid the price for our sins. And that is what tends to be rejected in progressive Christianity, which in my view, if you reject that, you're rejecting a core tenet of the Mm. gospel. We talked about that early creed earlier. So the idea that God the Father would require the blood sacrifice of his only son, this implicates the moral character of Mm -hmm. God in the mind of the progressive Christian, turning God into some kind of cosmic child abuser. And so you'll hear that phrase, cosmic child abuse, in reference to that uh, way of looking at the atonement. Yeah. And so the reason I think that that is so disturbing is because it's fine. You know, you might hear a progressive Christian say, oh, mm. no, I believe Jesus was a moral example. That's what the Bible is saying. Well, mm. yes, that is what the Bible is saying. Yeah. But the Bible, it's very strong, especially in Hebrews and Romans. Yeah. You cannot get away mm. from this idea of Jesus' death being sacrificial, Absolutely. that his shed blood somehow performed cleansing yeah. of the sins for people who'd put their trust in him. Absolutely. Uh, and so that's what's denied because mm-hmm. it, they, they, it implicates the moral character of God. Um, but there's certainly a wide variety of views that progressive yeah. Christians might have on the cross. They might mm-hmm. even just take the divine out of it altogether and say, well, it was just, 
you know, him submitting to our bloodlust. So, you know, we wanted wow. to kill him, and so he wanted to show us what forgiveness looks like. Wow. So th there, it, it's really diverse, but pretty yeah. united in the denial there. Absolutely, Elias. And I think the question we're all asking, and that is, if progressive Christians deny that Jesus died for our sins, what is the gospel of the progressive Christian church? Mm. Yeah, and this is key because if you're going to still call yourself Christians and deny kind of that real core key feature, yeah. that's not going to exist in a vacuum. There's, you're going to fill that with something else. There's going to yeah. be some kind of cause that unites you. And so I'll just revisit that theme of the denials in progressive Christianity. So uh, we'll even back up from the cross a little bit and go back to the garden. Yeah. So in progressive Christianity, largely speaking, and of course, I, I try to always generalize because totally. there are going to be some, dis, you know, not, I'm not, what I'm saying does not represent everybody who might call themselves a progressive Christian, yep. but just I'm talking about analyzing the ideas of the major thought leaders mm -hmm. through their podcasts and the books they're writing and yep. their YouTube channels. Yeah. Um, and so what we see among that group is, mm -hmm a pretty much across the board denial that humans have a sin nature and that that sin nature would separate us from God. Mm. So so obviously you can see if you don't think your sin is separating you from God, yeah. then you're not going to need the atoning sacrifice right. of Jesus on the cross. Right. So if you don't really think, and, and again, you know, sometimes people I think mischaracterize progressive Christianity by saying, oh, they don't believe in sin. No, they believe in sin. They yeah. talk about sin. Humans do evil things. Nobody totally. can deny that. Right. But the, what they deny is the fact that the the you know, the solution for that is to view yourself as separated from mm -hmm. a holy God because of your sin. Yeah. So what the message in progressive Christianity will often be is, hey, you just need to realize you've never been separated from God. Mm -hmm. God loves you just as you are, and he does, certainly we can affirm that. Totally. But part, you know, historically we would say part of his love, though, is that sacrificial death that he, to reconcile Absolutely. you. Yeah. But that whole narrative is out the window mm -hmm. in progressive Christianity. Yeah. So if you're separated from God, it's just mm -hmm. in your head. It's wow. just, it's this self-imposed, maybe your shame is keeping you mm -hmm. from feeling connected with God, but you just need to realize mm -hmm. that you are connected with God. Yeah. And so in the mind of the progressive Christian, once you can grasp this, once you can lay hold of this, then, you know, your focus needs to be less on sin and redemption and heaven and the mm -hmm. afterlife. Your focus needs to be on the here and now, because mm -hmm. God has put you on this earth to build his kingdom here. And certainly, yeah. again, we can agree with that. Totally. We do want to build his kingdom here. Yeah. But there's sort of this tension of the, the, the kingdom that's here and the kingdom that's not yet. Mm -hmm. That's historically been a tension with Christians. Yeah. That yes, we want to bring the kingdom of God to earth because one day God will make all things new and heaven and earth will meet. There'll be a yeah. new heaven and a new earth. And we look forward to that. But in progressive Christianity, it's really about the here and the, and the mm. now. Yeah. It's not so much about what happens after you die. It's about now. And mm. so a lot of those maybe social justice causes that progressive yeah. Christians latch onto are going to be defined by what is popular culturally totally. so <clears throat> and morally, too. So yeah. that's why, you know, progressive Christians might be doing a lot of good work when it comes to feeding the homeless or caring for the poor. I would argue historically Christians have done that as well. Yeah. But in progressive Christianity, they'll also adopt causes like LGBT, uh, LGBTQ, uh, that agenda to to for gay rights and things right. like that, because that's all connected mm -hmm. in their minds to these yeah. social justice causes that they're doing. And so it's it's a very social justice focused gospel. Yeah. 
And, you know, I want to be so careful to not give the impression right. that Christians shouldn't be doing good works in the world. Right. But it's sort of, I mean, we all agree on that, right? Yeah. Everybody agrees Absolutely. that if you're a Christian, yep. you should be standing against real oppression. Mm -hmm. You should be uh, standing in for people who need you. You should be yeah. standing up to bullies. You should be feeding the poor. Absolutely. You should be doing all of those things. Mm -hmm. But I think where the disagreement would lie is how those things are defined mm -hmm. and where you know what the saving factor of those acts is so historically yeah. speaking we're you know we want to share the gospel with people and out of that's going to flow good works yeah. whereas in progressive christianity it's really more about what you do than what you believe mm -hmm. so it's sort of flip-flopped yeah. what you know what the the causes you advocate for uh the 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 protests you march in this becomes the primary expression mm -hmm. of your faith yeah. rather than the understanding of the gospel being i'm a sinner saved by grace yeah, and I think it's just so scary to think about the cross going away. I think when we, we think about the, the substitutionary atonement and the fact that the gospel is uh, saved by grace through faith and that Jesus took my sin for me, took the wrath of God, I think we, we miss the whole Bible. I mean, you think of mm. when Jesus talks about that the, uh, that the entire scriptures speak of him and speak of, mm. his, of his death on the cross. I think we're missing so much of what scripture is about. And, and God's beautiful plan for redemption because it is beautiful. You think about creation, fall, redemption, uh, and mm. the fact that one day we'll be with him in a new age. I mean, that is uh, the most beautiful story in all of the world. And I think that when we take that away, uh, we lose so much of the goodness of what Christianity, Christianity is. And like you said in your book, it is a new religion at that point. Um, I think that's mm. really where the importance of these conversations lies is that we need to stand up for these, these true tenets of the Christian faith. So I really appreciate that. Mm. And Elise, a lot of our listeners are in the stage of their life where they are looking for a church home to attend and serve. What are some key signs that a church is practicing and teaching progressive Christian views? Mm. Yeah, this is a good question because progressive Christianity doesn't work like other maybe movements or religions Mm -hmm. where they're going to knock on the church door and say, hi, we're progressive Christians, and we'd like con to convert you to our view. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, it's really a movement of people that are growing up and out of the evangelical church. So a lot mm -hmm. of it is, you know, sort of fomenting yeah. on the level of the small groups and the, the relationships between lay people in the pews. Mm -hmm. And it's something that sort of bubbles up from the ground mm -hmm. up. And then, you know, maybe a church will hire a pastor a, that might yeah. be influenced by these ideas and it, they might just start creeping in just little by little. And so yeah. it's something that is more like a subtle shift or drift rather than an overnight thing. Right. So it's really important to be to be looking for certain signs, mm -hmm. I think, in your church. Yeah. And I would say that, you know, number one, we talked about the progressive view of the Bible. There's going to be a lowered view of the Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, even if the words themselves say, oh, no, we believe in biblical authority. We believe in the inspiration of scripture. Yeah. But then how that gets unpacked is an emphasis on the human part right. over the divine part, mm -hmm. right? If that yeah. starts to take primary concern, oh, well, hey, you know, Paul had these biases and hang-ups against women. That's why he wrote what he did about them. Mm -hmm. Or maybe he had these sexual hang-ups, and that's why he wrote what he did about homosexuality. So yeah. when they're the over-humanization, because certainly they were <laughs> humans, and yeah. they didn't, you know, the, the humans themselves were not all-knowing, right. right? It's the Absolutely. God that breathed through them that's all-knowing. Yeah. And so, but an overemphasis on maybe what a, a human author may 
may have been missing mm. in their lives that maybe got missed in the text. Yeah. That would be a huge sign. You're going to look for redefinitions of words. I think mm. it's always important that we define our terms. So even yeah. in some progressive Christian circles, you might hear words like incarnation, mm. and they're not talking about Jesus. They're yeah. talking about you know this this view that's becoming very popular in progressive Christianity that when God created the universe, he essentially incarnated himself into physical matter yeah. and filled the universe like a hand wow. fills a glove. Therefore, he's in everything, and there's a divine mm. essence in everything. Mm. And so all you need to do to find God is look inside yourself or look inside another person, and, mm. and he's already there, um, which is, you know, if, if anybody's sort of tempted by that idea, that is not a biblical idea. No. Jesus is not in you. Yeah. You do not have the Holy Spirit inside you until you place saving faith in Jesus. Absolutely. Like that's very clear biblically. Very, you do not yeah. have God inside of you yeah. until that happens. And I know that even for some Christians that might sound kind mm. of shocking, yeah. but that's because we've been so conditioned mm -hmm. by some of these terms that yeah. have been redefined. Yeah. Um, another sign to look for would be just gospel emphasis. When they mm -hmm. talk about the gospel, what do they mean? Yeah. Are they talking about the sin and redemption story yeah. that has historically marked the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or is it more about what you're doing? Yeah. What, you know, what causes you're advocating for? Um, what systems of oppression you're trying to tear down? Uh, that's the, it's, it's the emphasis we're going to yeah. be looking for there. And then I would also look for um, just a willingness to redefine not just maybe a secondary issue or a, a non-essential to mm -hmm. salvation issue, like let's say a church might be going through a a process of rethinking female deacons or something based right. on you know the the passage that talks about a female deacon and they're they're saying okay have we understood this properly mm -hmm. and we're going to go to scripture and we're going to yep. you know that doesn't mean they're going progressive right um, I mean any you know I, I always watch trajectories but totally. that doesn't that's not really so much what we're talking about but yeah. if the church is like well hey you know it doesn't really matter if you believe Jesus was resurrected mm. you know maybe that's not so important for us to worry about right. and that's what you have to be concerned about because Absolutely. that is saying this is a core doctrine yeah. like so the, so the willingness to redefine and even reject core doctrines Absolutely. that have united churches across mm -hmm. all denominations yeah. um, for, you know and and of course you know I I always hear my critics when I say something like that <laughs> I'm not saying that every Christian has always agreed on mm -hmm. everything right. and that there's never been false movements or denominations that have gone off the rails but if totally. we take that early historic Christianity and mm -hmm. trace it through church history oh yeah, yeah the thing started going off the rails from the start but that's how we keep it on the tracks yeah. is by going back to those you know, to scripture, to the early eyewitness testimony, the creeds, all of that stuff. And so um, be looking for a willingness to sort of put all yeah. doctrines on the same level and say, yeah, it doesn't really, one thing's not more important than another. Mm -hmm. And I'm um, trying to think of if there's any more that um, that I could think of. If I think of them, I'll say them as we go along, Absolutely. but that's that's all I can think of right now. Yeah, no, well said, Elise. And I think one thing I've, I thought of as you were saying or speaking was the Muller's Theological Triangle, I think, is really a good resource mm -hmm. if you're trying to understand the importance of different doctrines. I mean, I think you, you mentioned a few, but obviously the resurrection would be one that is essential and is a core tenet. Um, so really just be, I think, on watch, uh, kind of as you mentioned, for those things, um, for, for the listeners that are hearing this and are searching for a church, it is so important to find a, a biblically sound church, not just because we have some theological, um, you know, we feel like we're better theologically than someone else, but there is a reality to who is pouring into us, who we're learning from is really going to define who we become. Um, and if we're not being uh, filled up by pastors and teachers and individuals that are bu building up our faith, then we're going to be 
um, really, really broken down. Um, and I think your story in, in your book, you talk about the church you were involved in and the pastor and the class that you were involved in. I think that's a testament to the dangers that can come from uh, those types of teachings. And thankfully, the Lord used uh, that situation to bring you here, which is amazing. But I do think there's a reality to uh, having leaders and teachers and, and friends and uh, church partners that are, are building you up in, in the truth and not in false doctrine. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Absolutely. And lastly, Elisa, sometimes these kind of conversations can seem judgmental towards people with different beliefs, but I'd love to hear from you why it is so important to stand up for the truth and to have discernment as followers of Christ. Yeah, I think, and I, I'm sympathetic to that idea because we have been so conditioned by culture to think that, I mean, we've really been conditioned by culture to say that if somebody claims to know what's true mm -hmm. for someone else, you know, that's that's fighting words these days because yeah. it's seen as arrogant to say that you could have access to yeah. truth for someone else because we live in a live your truth kind of culture. And so, um, you know, it, it mm -hmm. can be really tough to live this out. But I yeah. think as Christians, one thing we need to keep in mind is that Christianity relies on objective truth. Yeah. Um, if objective truth doesn't exist, then it doesn't matter what you believe yeah. about God. So I, I get that. It's like if, if, if I thought, well, it's just what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Let's just live and let live. Um, you know, I get that. I get that impetus. I get the heart behind that even. Yeah. That sounds loving. That sounds like yeah. um, a more non-judgmental thing to do. But we as Christians, that is not an option for us. Yeah. That is not something that, that is not a path the Bible holds open for us. Mm -hmm. And so when I say that Christianity relies on objective truth, what I mean by that is that if you look at so many other religions, how they were started, you have a guy sitting under a tree or in a cave and he gets some kind of revelation or he comes up with some rituals and teachings that help people, mm -hmm. things that are pragmatic, yeah. things that work for people. And I'm not saying they wouldn't, they don't work sometimes. I mean, there yeah. are a lot of people doing the Eightfold Path of Buddhism that have found that it really helps them have more peace in their life or this totally. or that. But we can't judge truth based on what we find beautiful or even mm. what makes us feel good in the yeah, moment. Absolutely. And that's the danger in these things. And so Christianity is different than those, is that it's not a philosophy that yeah. you follow. It's not a set of, you know, do this and then you get to this point and then you accomplish this and then you do this. Mm -hmm. Christianity works totally different. Yeah. Christianity is, is about denying yourself, picking up your cross and following Jesus. And Paul even said, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith's in vain and you're still in your sins. So yeah. if in objective reality, mm -hmm. the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, yeah. then Paul is essentially saying, this whole thing's not true. You yeah. can throw it out the window. Yeah. And that's why Christianity is different. Absolutely. Because no matter how it feels, no matter how much it feels like it's working, mm -hmm. it's not about that. It's yeah. not just a set of rituals to, to perform to make Absolutely. your life better. Yeah. And that is the difference between Christianity and other religions. And so yeah. we're kind of on an uphill battle right now in our postmodern, post-truth culture where people don't really believe truth exists. We kind of, I think, sometimes have to back up a few steps yep. and edu you know, educate ourselves on the mm. nature of truth. How do we talk about the nature yeah. of truth? Because I feel like in evangelism right now in our culture, we mm. almost have to make a case for truth yeah. before we can make a case for the truthfulness mm -hmm. of Christianity. Yeah. Because people are so conditioned, it's like they might even think that's beautiful. Oh my gosh, I love your gospel message. That's great. I'm so glad that works for you. Yeah. But they don't realize that actually is applicable to everyone. Yeah. And so I think Christians, we need to be bold. We need Absolutely. to be brave. Mm -hmm. We need to not worry about how culture is going to see us. 
because um, God's not asking anything of us that he hasn't asked for the, of the church for 2,000 years. There yeah. have always been false gospels. Mm -hmm. There have always been the spirit of the age that yeah. come about that different Christians have to identify and deal with and live through and work through. And we have the same Holy Spirit and the same Word of God. Mm -hmm. And aren't you glad yeah. that that Word doesn't change? Absolutely. That you don't have to check Twitter every five minutes to find out what you're going to get canceled for mm. that you said an hour ago. Yeah. We, we can stand on the unchanging truths yeah. of God's Word, and that should bring us a deep amount of peace and abiding yeah. joy, knowing that we are standing on solid rock mm -hmm. that doesn't change. And yeah. I think that might be the message that could appeal to a culture that's just lost adrift all these messages. I can't even imagine the anxiety the average person goes mm -hmm. through yeah. having to check social media. What square do I have to put up today? What what <laughs> hashtag do I have to yeah. put out there in order yeah. to be, you know, like just not be in the in the gunfire of somebody, yeah. you know, it's verbal gunfire. Absolutely. Um, how beautiful to just rest on mm -hmm. the unchanging truths of God's word. I think it's a better story. I do too. And I think one thing I process when I think about the discernment we should have as Christians, I think of Galatians in, in that book that Paul writes, uh, or that letter rather, that Paul writes towards the Galatians as they are falling into false truths. They're falling into to works-based gospels. The Judaizers were teaching them that they still needed circumcision as a part of their salvation. And, and Paul is very clear. He calls them the foolish Galatians. I mean, he's not yeah. holding back. Who has back. bewitched you? Yeah, <laughs> he says. he's not holding You've been back. bewitched. Yeah, and I think when he learned from Paul, he doesn't hold back from sharing that truth. And it's out of his love for people. Nobody described uh, love better than Paul. I think of 1 Corinthians 13, mm. and I think that his love is, is better than any of ours will ever be. Um, but you think about how he treated truth, and he took it very seriously, and it was objective for him. And so I think mm -hmm. for us as Christians, as you mentioned, we need to stand firm in that and share that, especially in this postmodern culture where there really is no clarity on what the truth is. So I appreciate that, Elisa. Yeah. If you want to hear more of, of this conversation of what Elisa and I have chatted about, make sure you grab her book, Another Gospel. It's a tremendous dive into, into the deeper aspects of this conversation we had today. Uh, so make sure you grab that. And Elisa, it was an honor and a privilege to have you on the podcast today. You have had a huge impact on my walk with Christ and so many others, and we are praying for you as you continue to serve Christ and his kingdom. Well, I thank you for that, and I do covet the prayers, and thank you for that encouragement, and yeah. love what you're doing, and wish you the best with, with all your work getting the, the good message out there. Absolutely, Elisa. Thank you so much. If you want to get involved with Uncommon Sports Group and the mission that we are on to help you navigate the sport industry as followers of Christ, apply for our academy on our website at UncommonSG.org. That's UncommonSG.org. Be sure to catch new episodes of the Uncommon Podcast every Thursday at midnight Eastern Time, as well as the full video episodes on our YouTube channel. Until next time, we pray that you will strive to be uncommon by glorifying the name of God in whatever you may do. See you next week.